Welcome to A Pair of Bookends, the book club you can carry anywhere. We are your hosts and hopefully your new bookish pals. I'm Hannah MacDonald. And I'm Lydia Clare. Welcome to a very special bonus book club episode. Today we get to delve into the Rachel incident. We meet Rachel set on seducing her married professor who then drafts in her best friend James to help her in her mission in this funny, poignant and addictive tale of friendship and impossible choices. Caroline O'Donoghue is a New York Times bestselling author as well as a journalist, screenwriter and host of the award-winning podcast Sentimental Garbage. She has contributed to Grazia, The Irish Times, Vice, BuzzFeed and The Times and has written six books including a YA supernatural trilogy and three adult novels. Upon publication, her debut novel Promising Young Women was shortlisted for the Irish Book Awards Newcomer of the Year and the Kate O'Brien Award. Her podcast Sentimental Garbage is a joyride for lovers of pop culture with episodes dedicated to deep diving into music, movies, TV shows, books and more that society has made us feel ashamed of loving. Her latest novel, The Rachel Incident, was published by Virago in June and is currently in TV development with Universal and Pageboy Productions. As expected, I was unbelievably excited to have Caroline on the podcast and therefore butchered the original intro. So here we go on to the incredible Caroline O'Donoghue. Welcome to A Pair of Bookends. Hello, I'm so thrilled to be here. Oh, no. We are so thrilled to have you on. And listen, when I tell you that Hannah is the most excited person <laughs> in the world right now, it's not an understatement at all. It's not. So, so we always love to open with just a really easy question, which most people get very stumped on. But that is, what are you currently reading? That is very easy. I am just finishing the last couple of chapters of Fleischman is in Trouble. So actually... I was in a bookshop today and I was like, you know, waiting for my, what was like, oh, what's my next thing going to be? And I just picked up The Female Persuasion by Meg Wallitzer. So yeah, I'm very much, do you know, it, it's a genre I've taken a break in for a long time, but that very kind of New York-y kind of uh, wry, like I was walking down Fifth Avenue and talking to my friend <laughs> who's an oncologist kind of thing <laughs> that like, I often like every few years I go through these phases of reading a lot of books like this. And then I just like, look, if I hear about one more bagel, <laughs> um, but right now it feels like a very summary thing to be into for some reason yeah Lydia has just finished a romantic comedy and was absolutely raving about that and we're very much like going into the world I mean that's LA though isn't it but that's the world of SNL but yeah yeah but the very New York much about LA the, yeah yeah, yeah but... oh, I love that book it was so fun wasn't it oh it was just honestly I went into it not really knowing what it was about and I've never read any Curtis system felt before mm-hmm. so I was just kind of like oh just you know I got the proof copy so I was like oh just go for it and the proof is like bright white like nothing nothing on a cover nothing to give it away and within about I don't know like five pages I was like this is the best thing I've read all year like this is oh. fantastic <laughs> it was so incredible it's so um, I find it fascinating how that book is being published because I loved it so much and I love her a lot as well and like her first book was American Wife which was like this huge like oh it's like a like a fictional biography of Laura Bush and it was like re- won all these awards and whatever and she's done loads of different things but like this is such a commercial romantic fiction thing and like it's such a mm. moment for commercial romantic fiction but the way they've published it is very sleek and literary I feel like it's in the, the, mm. the way it looks and it's like oh it's interesting like how I don't know how different writers writing within the romantic genre are interpreted I guess you know yeah yes absolutely yeah it feels like a very kind of I think if you were to walk into 
a bookstore and we're looking for what the content of that book was you wouldn't look where it is usually placed yes um, yes yeah yeah because the cover I, almost looks like something it should be like a Joan Didion or something you know yeah yeah <laughs> it's like a woman you know she's in a convertible car like yeah. it's just screams literary fiction and it's just just a fantastic romance it really is I cannot wait yeah. to get to that now you, well I mean I've not read it but it is on my table what, staring what are at you me. reading oh well I've just finished uh your oh. book which <laughs> funnily enough <laughs> has just become as I wrote on my Instagram last night it's become a whole personality now that's, yeah. that's oh. it that's it I was literally so obsessed with it like and I have to be asleep by midnight I'm so I sound so lame but like I have to be asleep by midnight if I want to be a functioning human being the next day and I could not like put this down like I literally could not so like a couple of nights ago I was awake till like 2am reading it and I was like I've got work in the morning but I was like I don't care like I can't put this down it was just so good um, oh thank you so much that's so kind <laughs> no that's honestly so nice. it's it's amazing and before I get into it because because as I've already said, I'm a huge fan of yours and I am, I'm going to be really cringe and just thank you really, because yours and Dolly's Sentimental in the City spinoff got me through like a really shitty mental health period. So like during lockdown, like that, that final lockdown an acting job that I had was sort of like postponed and just everything was going to shit. And it seems like such a small issue in comparison to what people were going through, but I was just really struggling and I would have, I was having therapy every week over Zoom and I would have therapy on zoom and then after after therapy i'd be like feel really heavy right now so i would go to the coffee shop get a coffee and then just go for a walk with you and dolly in my ears talking about sex in the city and it just like it really helped me through that time so i'm just like such a huge fan of yours i love your podcast and i'm just so grateful that we've got you on so yeah thank you thank you so much Hannah. (laughs) that's really kind and you know what i i'm so um touched and grateful for that and like it's it's so funny when you think back on that time and like when people tell me like thank me for for that podcast because they were going through whatever kind of time they were going through during the pandemic the only thing I can ever think to say is like yeah it really it really saved my life too you know it was such a, a grim time and also it, it feels lovely now that some serious time has passed between them like it's been been a while now and to always to, to be like part of a cluster of pop culture that people devour during that time it's like oh wow I get to have something in common with like Dua Lipa it's like yeah <laughs> 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 or you know that that who wants to be a millionaire in the show that we all watched like or the queen's gambit it's like we all have something in common and that's yeah. something kind of nice about that yeah definitely now just quickly what are your thoughts on aiden being back oh yeah no i mean i don't have anything uh, massively original to say other than like, <laughs> i don't like the, don't like the look of that like hunter jacket and purple cords but uh <laughs> do you know what we've just been burned so much before with the like him returning turning for the second film mm-hmm. for like a real non storyline mm-hmm. um but then it looks like it appears as though he's going to have a real story on this one yeah i just feel like he lingers like a bit of a bad smell and i'm just like well i'm, yeah. I'm over him i'm over it uh, what, uh, yeah, we're all over it yeah <laughs> i'm over we it don't care like and it's it's kind of interesting because the show itself is um you know the the producers and all that they try to insist that like oh no it's a sex in the city story we have perfect faith in these new characters we created which is why we keep like resurrecting Aiden Shaw and it's oh. like you clearly don't have faith no. in the characters you've created I tell you what I'm th- I am in- uh, interested in though the Brady and Lily thing that they're hinting yes at. there's a little look going on in the the poster and I was like yeah. there's something 
there's something there I'm very intrigued by that yeah but I'm, I'm hoping that you and Dolly are going to give us another another series oh no doubt no doubt <laughs> I mean we'll probably do the same thing again but we'll wait like seven months to cover it it's just out love of, it like, I, news. <laughs> I would listen to you two chatting about anything so yeah oh. thrilled with that um now is this um is this a bad time to admit that I've never seen sex and sex <laughs> I actually I was watching your again. face there and I was like I could I I I suspect we have a heathen in the Lydia, house this is like make or break. Like, listen, I... listen, I'm up for it. I just have never yeah. doubted. It's fine. You can have like, like, save that space in your brain for other things. It's like the uh... rest of us. The rest of us, we have an illness and we can't help it. And we're basically all in a support group together and it's so fine. true. Oh my God. Okay. I have to talk about the Rachel incident because okay. as I said, it's now my whole personality and it's just amazing. And I was listening the other day to a podcast that you did with Angela Scanlon. I think it's the Thanks a Million podcast. Oh yeah. And, yeah. And you were talking. It was a nice time. Yeah. It was like, was that like, that was last year, wasn't it? That you did that. Yeah. And you were talking about the fact that it was just so weird that you were like you were hinting at this book and kind of sort of touching on it but not like giving any big ideas away about it and I was like oh my god I'm getting to read this now that's so cool but you were talking about the fact that you had had to delete 75,000 words of a novel that you were working on in order to start this Um, and I wanted to hear about what that experience was like and how you sort of found yourself in the world of the Rachel incident. That's, that's a great question. Yeah, I had this book contracted. I had sold the idea that it was based on a short story that I had written a few years previous. And like when authors are selling stories, novels based on short stories that they've already written, you know that the inspirational well is fairly dry. <laughs> um, and, but, you know, it was kind of like a, um, a sort of black mirror type feminist office novel. Uh, and I had been excited about the premise and then the, I signed this deal for my young adult trilogy and trilogies are an enormous amount of work and like not just on a plotting level but also on a um, delivery level you know because young people you sort of have to get those books on the shelves while the first generation is kind of old enough to be interested in them so it's like something you're interested in fi- when you're 15 isn't going to be the same thing you're interested in when you're 18 you know so I was really on a punishing schedule for that and so I, I pitched this book I then kind of went away and wrote this trilogy and then it's like by the time I gave I got back to this book I was like oh okay and then I kind of plugged away at it and plugged away at it and was going and going and like there was definitely good writing in it and it was like funny and I think it did make some points that I wanted to make but um the further we got into the pandemic and the more I kept tinkering with it and just dumping words into it the more I realized that I was writing a kind of a book that I love to read but it is not my destiny to write Mm. and the kind of book I mean is a sort of like it's almost like the kind of New York books I was like <laughs> um, <laughs> gesturing to earlier this thing of like just cool women having mean thoughts you know <laughs> and just like yeah. sort of slightly a bit disgusted with everything quite sarcastic not sarcastic I don't know cynical whatever you want to call it just you know funny but not haha funny really um, <laughs> more haha depressing um, you know like on the cover of like some books they're like it was darkly funny and then you open it up and it's like three people have died you know <laughs> <laughs> um, 
and uh and not only that not only was it tonally the wrong thing for me it was also um the plot all the stuff about sort of like you know girl boss feminism and the, the sort of capitalism as it intersects with ideological movements it felt the deeper we got into the pandemic it was like who cares mm-hmm. <laughs> like who actually cares like you're and also you're really gonna write a novel that's like oh no phones you know when phones are literally the only thing keeping society together at that yeah. particular point in time you know we just we had just organized like the, this mass vaccination of everybody on the fucking planet and, <laughs> and we're gonna be like oh no the phones like okay <laughs> anyway so I was sort of spinning my wheels on that and going a bit mad and uh this was like February 21 and the book was due May and I was like I can't I've done 70,000 words of this novel not only can I not finish it I cannot redraft it because like you write a novel and then you write it three more times you know and I was like and, and also I can't sit on a podcast in two years time and pretend to be in love with this either you know mm-hmm. like so I was like okay I have to write something that I, first of all I don't have an excuse to research because that was another problem I had fallen into was that I kept going on these weird research trips because I obviously didn't believe in the idea itself. So I just kept like researching. So I was like, you can't be able, you can't research anything. You, it has to make you happy and it has to be done in 11 weeks. And that's when the Rachel incident happened, <laughs> which is so weird because it's like not even out yet. And it's already like do- probably done better than anything I've ever written <laughs> wow. by virtue of just like getting like book of the month in Ireland and like it's getting like in the next thing in in the states and it's like getting this wide release so it's like mm. it's weird something that hasn't sold a single copy has already in theory sold more copies than i'll ever sell which is one of the weird things of publishing like you can never get your head around but it's like i well, i was thinking back to this time when i was uh 19 and i lived 1920 uh when i lived with my uh best friend ryan and at the time he was in the closet and um we just had this really like beautiful like codependent mad relationship that we still have and I just wanted to like center myself back in that time period because it it was just a time when I was really happy and there was loads of possibilities and things up in the air and then as per like the plot and everything else it's just totally just made up fun soap opera you know and Mm -hmm. I ended up writing about things I really cared about and stuff that's like defined my youth like you know abortion care like I've never had an abortion but if you're an Irish woman abortion is part of your identity in a way that is kind of hard to describe and I wanted a way to describe it in the novel as well so it was like a sort of a mixture of just the things I love and the things I care about you know yeah and I think just what you were saying there about about sort of the the abortion situation in Ireland I just thought you you highlighted that so well in the book because you explored it in a way that that really kind of represented the complexities of like young female sexuality in Ireland and how like the book you know has these really like sexy sex scenes and you know there's like these passionate sex scenes and stuff but I feel like there's always going to be that undercurrent of like guilt and shame that's sort of like linked to things like religion and linked to you know the potential of having to go through an abortion and all that kind of stuff so the stakes are actually like really high in terms of of sex and stuff like that and I just thought you explored that so well because it's it is an incredibly heavy topic and it's something that you know we're still seeing people fighting around the world thank you so much and like I'm yeah I'm glad that you thought that because there's a point where like these are 
these are very silly characters. They're fun characters. Do you know what I mean? Like they're 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 not necessarily silly of themselves. Like they take themselves seriously, and like they're they're thinking, feeling people. But they're mostly just want to have a good time, you know. Yeah, yeah. And um, I think like having people who just want to have a good time, but also want to mm. have an abortion, is an important thing. Yeah, definitely. to view. And also, this is bit where um so Rachel she wants she's sort of like all gung-ho to have an affair with her married professor which she never gets to have and she sort of was trying to describe um the appeal to herself and she's like she kind of links it back to the fact that she wanted to have she didn't want a boyfriend she did want to have more casual sex but she was so afraid of like the scourge of what casual sex would mean mm-hmm. in her small kind of Irish city and like what it would mean to be known for that in in a sort of like even though it's 2010 Ireland you know it's still got this kind of very conservative idea of femininity and it's almost like that's almost how she lands on like well an affair with a married man would solve all my problems you know <laughs> so so like even though these these characters do think of themselves as very liberated and certainly we thought of ourselves as liberated when we were you know in 2010 there's still this shadow that kind of hangs over everything absolutely I think I mean I know we're talking about quite a heavy subject but I do want I do want to do a little segue into what is my favorite thing about the whole book which is the setting in a bookshop (laughs) I work in a bookshop oh right and I cannot believe how accurately (laughs) (laughs) you capture it it is absolutely hysterical whilst also like oh yes that is my life and I think that it's such a, a brilliant a brilliant place for her to work a brilliant place for them to be set and what was it that inspired you to choose a bookstore and how how was it going about building that world for them oh thank you so much I'm so glad that you said that because I've never actually worked in a bookshop you wouldn't know really <laughs> so I, what I did work in is me and me and Ryan we actually met he was he was a Christmas temp and I was a, a full time a sort of permanent member of part-time staff uh, at a HMV um so I mean a kind of a bookshop <laughs> it certainly had books and yeah and actually it was something he sort of said to me over the years where he, I, I kind of asked him I was like why was I the first person you came out to and he said we worked in soundtrack and I was like what do you what do you mean he's like you know the floor the bit of the shop that we worked in together it was like easy listening classic jazz soundtracks all the kind of genre stuff that old people like was shoved upstairs and we were in we were upstairs together in this like big shop and he's like we the only thing we could put on the player every day was cds from that section so we would end up putting on like you know the nine to five soundtrack or the hair hairspray soundtrack or the grease soundtrack (laughs) and he was like it was this little place where my queerness could kind of flourish and it was like this safe little zone for us and I was like oh wow that's that's lovely and I I had never I almost kind of wished I could put that in the book but I kind of I didn't want to I knew if I said it in like a HMV or a CD or music shop Mm. I would it would be firmly too firmly within my own experience so um Mm. I said in a bookshop and then I realized once I because I knew going in it was going to be an English professor and I thought like oh the sort of English professor with the unreadable book (laughs) that he's trying to launch (laughs) what ends up being this like really fun place because like I think there's an awful lot of you know I think Rachel says it in the book she says you know I've read a lot of novels about the terrible things that happens to girls when they try to fuck their English professors but never about the terrible things that happens when they don't fuck them (laughs) so yeah so it's like even I think when we read those sorts of stories it's always like and he you know 
as he graded my paper, I lay back topplessly <laughs> or whatever. And Rachel would love that. She would love that. But um, but like having it this like putting Dr. Byrne in this vulnerable position of like having to ask for promotion for his um shit book, which he sort of firmly <laughs> believes is great, made him into like a person and like a someone you sort of almost feel sorry for. And it's like, mm. and she this thing where she's like she she feels domineered by him, but she also feels empathetic for him, and it's kind of a nice place to a nice silly lovely soft place to have that initial seduction happen I'm, I'm so glad that you thought it um worked <laughs> absolutely absolutely and I loved there's a there's a brilliant moment and this is at the start of the novel so it's not a spoiler but where like she's on the computer like making up fake customers yeah. that I've loaded his book in and I'm like yeah <laughs> like the amount of times I've been like I love this book but no one wants it so I'll just like create a few but I used to do that I used to do that with um with CDs because like Cork was a small city but like people like gigs still happened there so I thought if we could we often if we could like generate enough interest within the shop we could you know form some kind of chain reaction which was so like you would have the influence over the rest of the country like somehow me ordering one extra book in is going to somehow make them be like this is the book we should put as our book of the month next month <laughs> you, you so think you're in when you're that age that you're in that kind of control like yeah w- when you were working in that hmv in court because it was the only hmv in that part of the country and therefore the largest cd shop in like that half of ireland we really thought we made mumford and sons happen <laughs> <laughs> Like Stop. we genuinely <laughs> thought we were responsible for that for about three years. I knew it was you. It was us. <laughs> <laughs> but that oh is the ego God. that comes with like it's like being. I, I what I really enjoyed writing is the kind of weird big fish small town thing of yeah. like, working in retail in a, in a kind of cool place. You know. Yeah, absolutely. So one thing, just with you speaking about yourself and and your friend Ryan working at HMV. And it's something that I think you do so well is nostalgia. And I think Mm. you write that really well. And you obviously... I know through your podcast that you do nostalgia really well because you're reflecting on all these like huge cultural things, you know, TV and films and all that kind of stuff. And, you know, sort of the the things that we we choose to cling to and and the things that we kind of we have to let go of. And and Rachel seems to sort of feel at times like she's she's nostalgic about the life that she's like currently living, mm. um, which I found really interesting about her. Um, and I wanted to kind of ask what drew you to um exploring that period in a person's life you know sort of like on the cusp of adulthood well it's interesting what you just said about I, I hadn't really put together out until right now that like I do work a lot with nostalgia in general and both with the book and with the podcast it's, it's one of the reasons why I wanted to put Rachel to make Rachel the Rachel is the first book I've ever written in the past tense mm-hmm. and I found and you know this kind of thing of this character looking back on you know she's in her mid-30s she's looking back on early 20s and um what's really fun about that is that I think when you're when you're living I've written a few novels that are like 20 something women living their present tense life as it happens I think when it's all coming at you wave after wave and certainly lots of stressful things happen to you in your 20s typically um just feels like the most crushing sort of like oh it's blow after blow it's like you can't get a job boyfriend's not nice to you whatever all this stuff 
um, and it feels like it, it can really crush you. And then, and I think then having a character look back on that time and be like almost being her own big sister and being like, oh God, love her. Like she didn't know, you know what I mean? And I think, and I, I really hoped that like there's some, some terrible things happen in this story and some upsetting things happen in this story. But like, I really hoped that, and I know that most of my readership are like millennial women or maybe like slightly, you know, not maybe Gen X, maybe slightly older Gen Z, but like I wanted them to be able to look back on their own 21 year old selves and be like, God love her, you know, like just, she didn't know, you know, I often, when I think about like, like nasty boyfriends I had or whatever when I was young and I, and I sort of give my, I sort of internalize a sense of shame that I would like go out with somebody who treated me like that for like seven months or something. Mm -hmm. I always kind of say the same thing to myself, which is like, you try telling that girl not to have sex with that guy it's like she didn't want she wanted to she leave leave her go she wanted to you know like and I think I'm so in in, in many ways this book is the product of brain surgery and the the brain surgery is me doing that podcast for several years and slowly I'm like I've rewired my brain through hundreds of hours of talking about like so-called low culture Mm -hmm. and telling myself and the people who I talk to that like no the things you like are good <laughs> you know what I mean? like and the you know the, all these little facets of things are actually good and and trust your instincts your taste is good you are good you know mm-hmm. and I think that that spirit is probably most alive in Rachel incident more than any of my other work totally I just love the way that that you wrote about that and and about like how like you said it is crushing you know trying to navigate that period of your life and you just you don't know what you want like you literally and I really got a sense of that with Rachel you know she's she's like do I want to go to London do I want to like go into publishing do I want to like she she doesn't know like do I want to have this affair like that might be fun but like and like you said like she just kind of wants to have a good time I love that that you you have the character looking back on herself because it's rare that we get to see that and being like you know god lover like you said because we all make foolish choices and you know I still cringe when I look back on like arguments I had with ex-boyfriends and stuff and I'm just like oh like why did I say that like why did I do that that night and it's just like but that was past me like that's not who I am now like I would never do that now I would never say those things Um, and there's like a moment in the book where she says something like she's having an argument with with Carrie her boyfriend and it's like a really big blowout row and she says something like I wish I'd had like the strength and character of it to have have said something nice then or to like she basically wished she'd not gone about it in the way that she did yeah and I think we've all been there so <laughs> yeah that that relationship breaks my heart in places because yeah. it's like they just don't know how to have arguments yet with oh. each other and you can so it's like yeah there's a bit where like she's told him that she doesn't have enough money to go out and then he sees her out and then he thinks that she's embarrassed by him but she's just like I'm obviously mad about you Mm -hmm. and then like not realizing that like you have to do more things than just telling someone you're mad about them to make them believe that you're (laughs) mad about them you know I really feel for those kids I feel like that is like my kryptonite is like stuff exploring people's piss poor communication skills. Yeah. Like yeah. <laughs> I fucking well, love it. Poor, it's, like, it's so good. I love it's it. So good. I mean, I don't know what you 
girls are talking about really because I'm just the perfect person obviously, so, obviously obviously I know exactly how to communicate with everyone at all times um, <laughs> which if you know me is a complete lie but I found that the book what I loved about the book was that it tackles these really quite for you you know want of a better word like heavy issues you know these things that we look upon and we think oh my goodness I don't know how I tackle that and particularly for me it was about you know queerness and finding your place in the LGBTQIA plus community and how how to live like that when you are not out but you are aware of yourself but you, you you're just not ready or whatever what was it about that particular subject you know you've talked about your friend and things but what was it about that particular subject that you wanted to explore with this book? That's an interesting question and I've never thought about it actually because I think what's a big part of my draw for this book was that like so the my first book Promising Young Women was a um, sort of story about like office sexual sort of politics which had a very kind of um, predatory relationship at the centre of it. The second book was uh, told from the perspective of a queer woman who was like a very complicated relationship with her best friend and um, the trilogy then mostly women mostly mostly female characters and then the main romantic sort of lead is somebody who's non-binary so the kind of queer dynamics um were very much alive in all of my work and I just and that's never been like I always get like oh you know represent like I always like um weird about like accepting too much kind of like many compliments or something for about like oh diverse characters because like it should just be one of those things that's not even I feel like it's really boring it's it's like yeah like, like um sorry I'm not expressing myself very well but then when I got to Rachel I realized I had written five books and not talked about men at all mm-hmm. like, like at all like not in any significant way and particularly loving men like loving straight men loving gay men loving older men loving fat men loving skinny men loving small short men like men 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 <laughs> and and men have been the great loves of my life you know so in all the ways that it's possible for them to be and I really wanted to explore all different kinds of masculinity and how it's expressed with that and and within that queer masculinity and yeah I just I hope I did a good job um (laughs) uh really and I think closeting is a really interesting thing and when when I was writing this I was seeing Ryan a lot and I was sending him like a couple of chapters every week or so and he was so supportive and he helped me so much and he, he you know couldn't have gotten written without his kind of consent in some places and his encouragement in others but I was stuck on I was like how does Fred who's the professor who falls in love with James Rachel's best friend how would he react to James coming out I'm like I'm still kind of stuck on that bit and then Ryan said like oh well he's alone now he's alone in the closet you know it was him and James and now it's just him and I hadn't really thought of that I was like oh yeah like you know you have this idea of like when queer people come out that other queer people are rude for them but not when they're marooned in this sort of island by themselves Mm -hmm. and I thought it was fascinating and I, I just wanted to include all of it you know yeah it was so well done honestly I think for me as well it was very refreshing and I, I mean hopefully this is not just a trend and it is going to be something that then continues to develop in literature at the moment but it felt very just kind of natural and part of the narrative it wasn't it's not a device it's not a 
you know anything like that it's not like you saying like about representation or anything like that it's just these people that exist in yes. this world this is exactly you know? thank you for um enunciating that better than I could because I feel like I was tripping over my words a minute ago but yeah like I, I do feel like the more like I, I I want to have incredibly diverse books that like include every, like many different points of view and also mm. diverse authors who write them and even calling them diverse authors feels so like unbelievably fucking condescending. Mm, yeah. But I also don't want us to live in this world where we're like congratulating each other on our, you know, representation mm. and diversity that like it becomes so singled out and becomes a trend, you know? Mm -hmm. I remember reading this quote from Naomi Campbell once where she said she says something like, I don't want to see all black runways. I want to see black models working alongside white models, alongside Asian models. Like, I want there yeah. just to be more diverse runways yeah. generally I don't need to see an all black runway you know yeah which I kind of yeah I guess I feel the same about publishing and and you must too as a bookseller you know you must see these you know big signs go up being like this is the queer section this is the queer you oh. know whatever it's like uh, yeah you, you kind of want, and that's great but you also want to move to a place where it's the everything section you know this, yeah this is it and it's like you know I, I I think personally I bulk against things like you know let's have a queer section because to me you know I want to be able to pick up a book and it be a love story and me not care who it is a love story about it's just gonna have the yeah. stuff that I want in it that you know and this is definitely a book that has those kind of elements in terms of like you know it doesn't need a sticker on the front showing what it represents because these are just people living in the world that and navigating the world in the best way possible and you know in my kind of like utopian bookstore <laughs> these these books are just amongst everything else you know there is no distinction between a love story between heteronormative people and also a love story between anybody it should just be what are you looking for do you want a romance yeah. here's a romance you and know I hope, I hope now that like because that's like definitely in the YA space it's, it's so mm. so usually diverse or whatever that like Gen Z have, are just gonna I think it already happened really like they're already they've already grown up reading uh, love stories from all different kinds of perspectives and perspectives persuasion and they're going to be the people who work in publishing and work in bookshops yeah. and shape things and like so yeah I think it is really going to change I think publishing is such a changeable industry it, it feels different to film and music in that way definitely film that it's really malleable and people who are in it for the most part don't make that much money so yeah so it's like you have to really love it you have yeah. to yeah, really want to <laughs> absolutely and and you know talking about that generational thing like my my daughter's favorite book at the minute is called I am not a prince it's about a frog and um, oh. she's only three but it's about a frog who discovers their identity and um you know is very happy being a frog princess and um I think that now that we're starting to see that trickle down I'm hoping that it means a lot of great things for you know future generations in terms of, of feeling open to write yeah. about whatever they want to you know but yeah I think I think this is a, a perfect a perfect book for for people looking for that kind of content I mean James Devlin is just a fucking great character like I feel oh, so precious you. about him um, <laughs> His, and you know speaking of love stories like their friendship feels like the the great love story of the book and and it, it is really I mean you can really get a sense of like your own friendships in there and that you've had these really powerful meaningful friendships and yeah I just thought it was just so beautifully written and I love the sort of camaraderie between them just like their like their dialogue and their back and forths it just feels so like vivid and real 
Um, and I think there was, um, I actually folded down the page. There is a moment between them and uh, I'm just going to read it. James's fascination with my middle-classness has not changed since the day we met. And sometimes I wonder if his entire friendship with me is based on some urge to catalogue the precise livelihoods of dentists and their children. A sample question <laughs> that might come at any time of the day or night. Does Bridget serve the carrots cut into circles or strips? <laughs> strips. I'll write back. Knew it. Comes in response. <laughs> it's so good. I don't know if Knew you it. It's just, it's so good. And it was just like, perfect like I don't know how you managed to do these these little one-liners like your humor is so great and you just managed to like capture like the smallest details of the in things and I just I just want to know like how how do you do that like how have you got such a such a keen eye for detail or such like a knack for for I don't know I don't know but it's really nice that you think so it's really nice you know it's lovely no I thank you so much that's so nice and it's there's nothing nicer in the world than having somebody read back a bit of your work that you know it kind of spooks me every time because it's like well I was alone in a room during the pandemic writing sentences and now this girl is reading back the sentences it's magical and it's lovely and and thank you so much and um yeah I don't know how to answer it all no that's fair but it's just Um, it's what makes the book so funny for all of these one-liners like there were so many times I'm just cackling to myself and that's why I didn't want to put it down because like my job really stressful at the moment you know there's all sorts going on but I'm just like this book just gave me such a like a break from like any kind of like life stress it just was like yeah such a break and I just felt like totally immersed in their world and in their like their friendship and I kind of felt like a little part of it yeah. <laughs> and I just I really miss those characters so god knows how it must feel for you having to let them go <laughs> yeah no I I do feel that way I do I do really love them all and like there's you know there's only I think five char- six characters in the book mm-hmm. something like that like real characters and I do think about them all the time and like I I, I find myself thinking I was like you know if you know if Carrie were that way now he'd probably get an ADHD diagnosis and he'd have gotten <laughs> the shit together much earlier but but he couldn't so he didn't and like like yeah um it's it's so nice but um, with them um, with James and Rachel's dialogue in particular, because like from the get-go, their their relationship is just so silly. Yeah. I really wanted to create this um world where it's like it's built like built of all these private jokes and you have to get the sense that even the private jokes you're not seeing, you know, are there. Like, yeah. like you, you there's like a, I think at one point it drops that like they have this sort of thing of like pretending to be southern ladies kind of thing (laughs) but you also know that that's like part of a bigger infrastructure and they've talked about like the southern where where they live and like (laughs) whatever and I wanted to sort of be able to build those like little like twigs of straw that are a private joke with your friend or texting your friend about their mom in the middle of the night or whatever and then once you put all these like little twigs and straw together you're like oh wow like you've built a nest (laughs) like it's like something that will genuinely like catch you and cradle you and like when Rachel does fall James is the person who catches and cradles her you know and like they show up for each other in ways that are like you would struggle to show up for a sibling you know like not just physically but like financially like they you know at at one point he sort of I won't spoil it for but like (laughs) but sums of money are involved and and they are both incredibly gracious and generous about it and um yeah I I think there is um, a tendency as well to show straight women and gay 
gay men in media as having like um, an ultimately sort of like shallow relationship or mm. something. I mm. think it's a real sort of pet peeve of mine that like it's a relationship that is so new in terms of like media openly acknowledging that kind of dynamic. Yeah. Like, but yet we make ourselves feel sort of like bad about it or sort of we're so kind of like oh god it's the straight woman and her like token gay best friend accessory yeah. or whatever yeah. without really analyzing the nuances of it at all um mm-hmm. and I, it just it, it really irritates me and um yeah and and I think what's fun about this is if anything like I mean Rachel is literally the accessory in this like she's like she's an accessory in this kind of larger crime that's happening <laughs> so yeah I mean yeah that wasn't I, I wasn't really answering any question just sort of ranting but yeah thank you thank no, you so much. For rent. always yeah. here for a rent absolutely <laughs> I think I think one of the things that I really enjoyed was the kind of juxtaposition between between James and between Dr. Byrne and, you know, and the, the men in Rachel's life. What did you want to kind of give the reader by having these two different different guys in her life? Well, there's three guys in her life, really. There's um there's Byrne and there's James and there's Carrie. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like I think this, there's this thing with Byrne where it's like she's attracted to him and in the way you kind of always are attracted to male teachers just as like a de facto kind of thing but like I don't think she ever really thought she was going to do anything there but I think it was also like she wanted to be him more than she wanted to be with him you know can I just and, say there's that there's that great line that she says about about Dr Byrne's wife yeah where she she comes into the shop and she looks all dainty and stuff and she goes <laughs> like oh fuck fuck you teeny deeny I'm gonna fuck your husband for that <laughs> <laughs> Just on that basis, just on that basis, we're gonna fuck your husband. Like that's, that's the level of seriousness we're talking. Just so the listeners are clear, like, yeah. <laughs> like as if she thought she had any control over that. Yeah. So <laughs> You're totally uninterested husband. He doesn't think about me at all. Yeah, and I, and I liked it. There's a bit as well where um, when Doctor Byrne comes into the shop to check on the pre-orders for his crap book and um the uh, she says something like mildly funny and he sort of laughs and looks at her and her first thought is fuck me and I'll say more things (laughs) (laughs) yeah and um, I love it it's like I think actually it's occurring to me now um through that question so it must be a great question it is that I think Rachel is somebody who really thrived in secondary school like when when (laughs) things were like really straightforward and it's like you could you know tests were very simple not not simple but they were structured and I think she's somebody who and it's a way she's very different to me she really thrives on structure and I really pictured her as being like like a pretty like a solid A student shiny hair like always has the right like pens and pencils like not an overachiever but like doing good you know yeah yeah And and I think she really misses teacher approval and yeah. you know that direct thing of you know whatever the shiny kind of polish of that sort of world because like even when you do an English degree it's so much of it is essay based and you never really get that much time with feedback or anything and you don't really know what you're doing and she's kind of doesn't really know she hasn't really connected with anybody so I think she is confusing sort of teacherly approval and sort of actually fancying someone I think listen you're talking to the queen of approval like literally <laughs> if, if you can give me a sticker with it like some kind of gold star at the end of this to say what a great podcast <laughs> I will I'll be like yes great fantastic that's it we're in love <laughs> 
Great, I'll keep that in mind. <laughs> Can I just say though, like everything you just said, Caroline, is is exactly what I mean about like your writing style and how good you are at doing like character traits. Just you saying like she would have thrived in secondary school. I'm like, yes, like somebody that would thrive off structure. Like how just these thoughts that you have. I'm like, I listen and I'm like, you just are like, you know, people so well, like down to the T. Oh. I just I don't know. I, I just, uh, yeah, I love it. It's again, well, I love this. This is very nice. <laughs> it's just me basically like expressing my love for you. Um, <laughs> now, I have just clocked the time and I'm really sad, um, but I wanted to quickly slip in a question. Obviously, the Rachel incident is, and I don't want to get this wrong, so please tell me, it has been optioned? Yes, it is. <laughs> yes, it's not. Here's the thing. So, I mean, your fucking groceries receipt has been an option, man. Like, these <laughs> options, they're all flying around the place. <laughs> but um, what um, what do you, like, what do you hope for the TV adaptation? And will will you kind of have involvement in that? Do you want to stay, like, attached to it? or? So here's what I can tell you. It's been, okay. um, <laughs> and all of this information will be out of date in one year. Um, and Because uh, that's just the way the industry goes, I'm learning. So uh, it's been optioned by Ellie. Pages production company over at Universal Studios, which is very exciting. It's I have written the first episode, and um, I'm ho- I hope if they carry on with it, they um, if they greenlight it rather, I'll I'll sort of write subsequent episodes as well. But yeah, like it's funny because um, a casting will be difficult, I think, if it ever comes to that, because like all these characters are supposed to be like 20, 21, and generally it's difficult to get people of that age who are like names. So yeah. I, it would be nice I guess you know yeah and I feel like if it doesn't go ahead like I'm gonna start a riot so (laughs) (laughs) but it's it's so it's just such a good book and it's so vivid and I can totally see it being adapted and you know as we've said before like we're just saying we're both actors so if yeah, oh, I can't wow. do another. I can't do an Irish accent just now. But give me some time. Uh-huh. <laughs> well, you could there. definitely be those bookshop girls at the end. They're fun. Yes, yes. Right. <laughs> I could totally do that. Right? Yeah, they're all just really posh. I think. I mean, one oh no, we can't. Related to Olivia, we can't. We don't do posh. We don't do posh. <laughs> <laughs> we're so try. working class. It hurts. Try. <laughs> betray my working class roots just for you. <laughs> yeah, no, um, I think like you guys can do like RP. It's just weird when they try and do your accents that's, <laughs> I think, true. Yeah, I think that's, that's generally true. the way it yeah. goes. you can smell that's it a mile nice away yeah, yeah you really can. <laughs> i'm really sad that we've got to let you go but Caroline. I'm sad too. Go. I would love to just sit here and receive compliments. For another, another hour. Yeah, I, I really hope that this episode isn't just me complimenting you, but let's be honest, it probably is. No, it was um, really. It was a wonderful interview, and it's really made me think about the book in in new ways. And I'm still very early on in the interview process for this book, so it's been lovely to get the kind of gears moving um, oh, about um, it. You know, thank you, thank you so much for for coming on the podcast today. And listeners, the Rachel incident is out on the 22nd of June. And I will pop a link in the show notes. Caroline, can our listeners follow you anywhere? Yes. Um, the only place I'm I'm really doing anything on anymore is uh, Instagram. And I have a very unintelligible Instagram name. It's um, Zaronline. It's C-Z-A-R-O-N-L-I-N-E. Fabulous. And obviously Sentimental Garbage goes out every Thursday. Yes. Of course. 
and I will be dead cringe and link a few of my favorite episodes in the show notes. What are your favorite I'm episodes? Asking. My favorite episodes are I loved Girl Bossing with Otega. Oh, I love that. Acting one. like I know her. I loved um I listened to Dirty Dancing yesterday with Curtis okay. Sittenfeld. Mm-hmm. So good. Mm-hmm. Obviously loved the Sentinel in the City stuff. I loved uh, reality TV with Pandora Sykes. Oh, yeah. Um, okay. Oh, my goodness. There's so many. Yeah. I, well, I, just, I, just promise, out next week. I just promised to watch at least one episode of Sex and the Please City. Please do. Again. Oh, I wonder what the one episode would be. Oh, what do you know? I need your recommendation. So the one episode that I, that, that I made Gav watch and he thought it was great was um, My Mother Bored Myself, which is the one where um, Miranda's mother dies. Okay. Oh, yes. Okay. Yeah. Yes. So it's a great one. Uh, Everyone listening. Will know that's up my street already. So <laughs> like, yeah. Is that great. the one where she eats cake out the bin? No, that's not the one where she eats cake uh, out the bin. Although another great moment for Cynthia Nixon. But when yes. I went when I made Gav watch my mother bore myself, he just like had his arms folded the entire time and then he went, Cynthia Nixon is a national treasure, and then he left the room. <laughs> she is. She literally is. Amazing. Oh my goodness. Uh Caroline, I I love you. I love your podcast. I love this I love book. you too. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you for coming on. And uh, listeners, if you enjoyed this episode, please don't forget to rate, review and subscribe as it helps us to reach more listeners. You can also follow us at A Pair of Bookends Pod on Instagram and at A Pair of Bookends on Twitter and TikTok. Thank you so much for listening. Go by the Rachel Instant ASAP Rocky. Goodbye. Goodbye. <laughs> Bye, guys.